um, anyhow, I the fir I first heard about you because um, an ex girlfriend would talk about you a lot. She went to when you were, I guess, the pastor um, in Dolores Mission. Yeah. Yeah, and then. And then her brothers would talk about you because one of her brothers came out of the military and you helped him get a job. And so you're just always helping a lot of people. Her name's Sochi, and then her brother is George, and then Michael. Yes, there you go. Yeah. Oh, you have an acute memory. The Lord's Mission School as little kids. I was there from I first arrived in '84. Uh, and then uh, I was uh, there summer of 84, summer of 85, and then 86 to 92, I was pastor. So they were little munchkins. Yeah. Back then. So because of uh, my ex's influence, I picked up your book, Tattoos on the Heart, and I read it, and so many, I have so many things to say. I don't know where to begin. I'm just, I'm excited. And I'm honored to 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 have you with me um, for this interview. But I just want I, I think I speak for everybody when when I say thank you for all of the philanthropy that you extend and exercise, because this is a world that needs it, you know, and you're one of the fighting forces that pushes the balance toward love. And that's the ultimate goal. And so um, it's what we need right now. And, and soldiers like you who just go out there and make it happen. You're the verb in the universe. You know, some people are nouns and they're there, but you're the you take action. You're the verb, and it, it's what it's what the universe needs and what the universe appreciates. Well, thank you. You're kind. <clears throat> so I have a I have a, a couple of um of questions jotted down. So let's see. Um you said a couple of things in in uh, tattoos, tattoos on the heart. And one of them is that anger is the language of the hurt. And then, and another one, one that stuck out to me was that all we can do for these individuals who aren't awake or who haven't found their path in the light uh, is to, um, is to wait. It's just to have that, that, that patience. Um, how do you, how have you been in this business of loving so long and have maintained all this patience oh i don't know how patient i am you know <laughs> yeah i mean at homeboy we're kind of we want to train ourselves not to be uh, toppled by bad behavior you know so people can throw down in the parking lot and it's like it's not like oh my god people are being bad you know, it's it's a language. What language is uh, gang violence speaking? It's the language of despair and mental illness and trauma. And so you want to get underneath. The homies always say, um, you know, you have to find the thorn underneath. And that God knows how to find the thorn. And so we're always invited to find the thorn. Part of the problem in the world today, I think, is that we misdiagnose things. We look at stuff and we go, oh, that's what it is. And usually it, it isn't. It's Everything is about something else. So the trick is to find the something else. So you want to be patient about that and try to 
find the thorn underneath so you can actually heal be a part of the healing that that people are invited to um but we're always kind of naming the problem is how we name things you know we think this thing is you know just bad guys doing bad things and you go oh no well what if it's traumatized people and what if we try to help people transform their pain so they don't have to inflict it anymore so all those things are more sophisticated that you know you roll up your sleeves and you try to understand with love what's really going on for a person as opposed to be tripped up by behavior so you know we won't don't want to do that homies always say also that you know i was always uh uh and what was the thing you know for me anger was always one letter away from danger you know and and so if they can understand that then they can be you know patient with themselves yeah wow that's that's wonderful um and i started i started perusing your book again and you know you you never read the same book twice and there's always new insights and i was trying to find these quotes that really they were the they, they had their profound moments and I, I wanted to address them and i as i was reading through it became abundantly clear that through your full immersion of this endeavor to help individuals on their path of healing boy you really went in there you really went into the neighborhoods and um that's you know i don't know if that's unprecedented but i i i know that it's something that you're kind of like a lifeline to people and i know my cousin he right now he works with you he's he works with homeboy industries he told me about your guys' guacamole and um who's your cousin lenny Oh, I love Lenny. Yeah. Alvarado. Yes. Yeah, yeah. No, he's great. <clears throat> he's a real leader. Everybody respects him there. We grew up together all our lives. Same home. Same home. I joined the United States Navy. And then afterward, I graduated from Cal State Long Beach. I'm an educator, a high school English teacher right now. Same homes, but we went different paths, you know? Yeah. So. Yeah. In fact, I have a picture of him on my wall here. Him and his homegirl, who both, you know, work at Homeboy, and it's them in the middle in front of the Home Homegirl Cafe. And then super—I don't know how he did this—but superimposed on either side is Lenny as a little mocosito when he first got into the neighborhood, and this uh, Inez when she first got into the neighborhood. And it's like. It's kind of magical, and he put it in a frame and gave it to me. So it's on my wall right over there. Nice, nice. So I, I want to say thank you because you know Lenny and I, of course, with, with his path, not um ever kind of crossing orbits with mine and us having no real coincidence. Um, we didn't get to really see each other as adults, unfortunately, and so um meeting him again last year. Uh, he he mentioned you and, and you we were chopping it up and it, it, it was nice and you always you always end up popping up in my life like this happens a lot like some form of synchronicity and um and i'll tell you a little bit bit about that as as we close this interview 
But I have a, a couple of things. And this is one thing I know, like when we're self-promoting our healing and we're going through um, our awareness, the forgiveness aspect, Could I, I would love for you to give some insights on maybe how it could be easier to forgive or maybe waking up to the power of forgiveness. Yeah, you know, it's funny that you should say that because I just finished my third book. I just turned it in. And uh, in it, I, I mentioned a story where I was in Florida and I was signing books. And a guy came up to have a book signed. And he says, you know, I, I've read both your books. And um, you don't mention forgiveness. And I thought about it. I go, you know, I think you're right. And I think one of the reasons was as I kind of examined it, is that forgiveness is always waiting for something. Forgiveness is waiting for an apology. And, and so the, the, why settle for forgiveness when we can have mercy? So if you go to the prodigal son, um, the father sees the kid and goes running to him. And it doesn't say, okay, I'm waiting. <laughs> your apology and the son has a fake ass apology i am not worthy to be your and and the father kind of puts his hand over the mouth and says Charlie ni mangos. I, I don't care two toots about that <laughs> you're home you're alive you were dead but now you're not oh my god let's uh, kill the fatted calf and have a pachanga so so that's the god doesn't wait for apologies and God doesn't settle for forgiveness because he's holding out for mercy. So mercy is better than forgiveness. So I think part of the problem is a lot of times, you know, I, you know, whatever it is I, inside you go, I can't forgive my father. I can't forgive my mother or my brother or whatever it is. And it just means we're holding on to some grievance and some pain that we're uh, kind of refusing to transform because if you don't transform your pain, you're just going to keep inflicting it. So you want to uh, move beyond even the expectation of forgiveness, you know, because I don't know, I, for me, it's not enough, you know, to just kind of say, uh, Hey, I, I apologize for what I did. And okay. I accept your apology. And it's just, we're invited to find our true selves in loving. And so it's all about loving all the time. And it's not waiting for anything. You know, like I won't love you until you've uh, apologized to me for what you did. And it's like, no, move to move to mercy quickly. Wow. Joy is the joy is in the in the merciful. And not in cleaning the slate, you know, okay, I apologize to him. She apologized to me. He still hasn't apologized. <laughs> but there is no apology, really. I mean, there's no expecta expectation of apology. And the son practices his speech because he's hungry, not because he's sorry. And so it just doesn't matter to the father apologize don't apologize all i know is my love for you is total in your home and and that's all i care about so that's monumental because 
it usually in all of the teachings um you'll you will come across at some juncture the imperative of forgiveness and now to hear to let's we can even forego that and it's and focus on the mercy let's give emphasis well, on well, that Jesus will say you know the apostles say how how many times should i apologize or forgive rather yeah and seven times 70 oh no 70 times seven you know it's like it's a lot <laughs> but, but it's mainly mercy it's really about mercy and but i think once we get stuck in the forgiveness dynamic you know, I, I suppose part of our own healing is it's not so much forgiving, you know, you know, your father for, for what he did. It's, you, you end up, that's why the understanding love is, is deeper because then you go, oh, they, they were doing the best they could. And, and then you start to stand in awe at what folks had to carry. Yeah, you know that, that happens a lot with the homies, where they kind of look back and say, you know, there's a homie I know whose mom, I've written about it, used to put cigarettes out on him, Ooh. and hold his head in the toilet and flush till he nearly drowned, and and she chained him to the backyard for one entire summer like a dog big long chain where he could move around but he never came in the house for the whole summer until his uh, stepfather told her you know you can't do that and he came into the house he was nine years old and then he ran away from home and never looked back so part of the thing is you know a lot of anger tortured she tortured him but he's now at a place where he can go oh she was mentally ill and and this anguish was nothing she ever chose it chose her and then suddenly he can move beyond forgiveness and and get quickly to mercy which is a more spacious uh, expansive place to live you know where you can there's room you know, and he doesn't have to nurse his hurt and his pain anymore because he sees, oh, she was doing the best she could. It was horrible, but but she was mentally ill and she had a kid and she had no business, uh, you know, having one, I guess. But anyway, I, I just think that that's part of how people grow and heal is they move beyond hurt yeah and and get to this other place of just presume that the answer to every question is compassion and then you kind of go oh all right people are carrying a lot got it very very interesting this is um so significant uh, maybe even a paradigm shift to say yeah why focus on that on that forgiveness when i was reading your book something came to mind because you mentioned my father and my mother they're both from east los angeles <clears throat> and they were both in neighborhoods my mom was from garrity and my dad was from arizona and um i was wondering i wonder if father g knows my parents 
And uh, it was something that I've, I've always want to ask. My father did some work with GVRP, Gang Violence Reduction Project, in the, in the 80s. And, oh, yeah. Yeah, he, they called him Squire from Arizona Maravilla. And, uh, I'm, sure I, I'm sure I met him because in those days, um, what was the, that was under the umbrella of... CYA, uh, California Youth Authority. Yeah. But then there was CYGA, which is, um, it was gang intervention. I can't uh -huh. remember. Yeah. But I'm sure he was a part of that. I, I used to know all those guys back in the day, you know. They still talk about you. Everybody mentions, say, everybody in my life, you have been some sort of synchronicity where people were guiding me your way and, and talking to me um, uh, about you, mentioning you like in idle conversation, maybe tangential conversation, but you were always floating about. Your name was coming here and there. And it's so interesting to that... Um, <clears throat> Just and that's why I was telling you I have so many things to ask you and, and so much to comment. But okay, um, we're in a faculty meeting and we're addressing the issues right now with getting students to engage. And you know, there's a lot of um it, students who are failing, unfortunately, they're not feeling the online education and we read an article that says, okay, the increments between an A and a B is 10 points. And from a B to a, a, to a C is 10 points and, and from a, et cetera, et cetera. But from a, an F to a D is 59 points. And there's, and we were addressing that disparity and it's a true disparity. It's a calculated disparity. And so we were saying if we were on a on a zero to four point scale, right? A zero would be a fail. One, two, three, four, a DC, etc. Um, to try to get maybe institute some equity, and and perhaps leading with compassion, and <clears throat> a lot of a lot of educators immediately they they found it as though they were creating maybe an injustice by doing that. And I was one individual who said, I kind of already exercised that. When I give a student a fail because they didn't submit their work, I don't give them a zero fail. I give them a 40% fail. And so a fail is still a fail, but they're just not so far back that they're not going to be able to catch up. And if I have to sit down with the parents, I tell them, look, I adjust my grading policies in favor of your child because I want your child to get, get, when they get the motivation, they find the wherewithal and inspiration to go out and make it happen for themselves, get the credit and then go beyond, you know? And there was some problems with that. And then I, th and, and reading your book and, and, and knowing that you premise uh, your, your, your life, the power of boundless compassion, about leading with compassion, about, um, addressing maybe concerns, incidences with compassion. Um, wh why do you think for some individuals... Individuals, that's a struggle. That's a struggle to do what? To be compassionate? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, I think um, it's all about welcoming your own wound. 
and that if you don't welcome your own wound, you're going to be tempted to despise the wounded. And you see that all the time. If people haven't done their own work, then they're very quick to say off with their heads rather than, uh, well, let's get behind this. I wonder what this is. Remember, I, I had a, a homie who was uh, a senior staff who we were talking in a group. We were talking about a trainee, a homie, and he says, uh, you know what his problem is? He thinks his shit don't stink. And then another homie in the in the group of senior senior staff said, no, all he smells is stink. So it's it's the two kind of one kind of thinks he's uh, you know cutting through the the mess and you know he may pull the wool over your eyes but not over mine I know he, I got his number well that's actually somebody who, who's a stranger to himself he hasn't done the work so he's quick to kind of saying you know he's pulling a fast one but the other guy had done all the work so he had a, he had more room in his heart. And he, he didn't despise the wounded. He recognized his wound in this kid. Said, no, you know, all he smells is stink. And it was his way of saying, you know, respond with compassion. But you can't do it if you're a stranger to yourself. If you haven't done the, the work. You know, because at, at Homeboy, we always say, if you're in pain, you point. And, and it's scapegoating and it's blame and it's, you know what his problem is? I'll tell you what his problem is. You don't see it, but I see it. No, that, that's, you know, that, that's a sign that, that you haven't yet done all the work that you need to do. And, and so that's the invitation. But the, the, the teacher who, who kind of has no patience yet, and and you know sees troublemakers instead of kids who are wounded you know that's just because they're they haven't made friends with their own wound and that's why it's so essential to do the work you know at homeboy when when trainees throw down which happens every once in a while <laughs> you know uh and then they'll sit them down you know before the pandemic they'd bring them into my office they'd sit them down the homies who run the place and uh and they'll say you know what happened he took you to that place which is a, an expression they always use he took you to that place and you know why he took you to that place you haven't done the work so you can tell when people have done the work you know in a, and whatever that means which is to come to terms with what was done to you as a kid Come to terms with what you've done. Look at it. You know, lean into it. Be curious about it. Feel the pain of it, but then start to savor it. Start to relish it. And then kind of say, yeah, that's that's who I am. That's what happened to me. And then you can move on. That's what doing the work looks like. And then you can recognize you know, people who are in pain, not, not behavior problems. These are people who are wounded. So if, you, if you're friends with your wound, 
you can see it in others. That's absolutely uh, fascinating. The, the the entire psychology of that it makes so much so much sense. I have a cousin and and she has a psychology major. She she also mentioned you. She said one time she attended. Maybe you went and presented at a facility for all girls or whatnot, and they started throwing down too, and you were there. And uh, my my cousin's name, her name is Regina Ortega. I don't know if you met her, but um, she was working with individuals. But you said something similar to what I've heard her say, where she says, your parents, they loved, I'm sure they loved you the best they knew how. And um, <clears throat> always coming, giving people the benefit of the doubt instead of saying you're trying to pull one over on me and uh being quick to just be getting on the defensive but wow things are indicators you know things in, are indicators of of something else you know it's <clears throat> uh, like in in 19th century medical history you know all these people were dying and and they didn't know what what to do but they did everything they they knew to do, you know, doctors, medicines, hospitals, nurses, nothing worked. People still were dying. And then all of a sudden, way over here, quite inadvertently, somebody addressed the water supply and the sewer system. And once they did, what happened to these diseases? Well, they disappeared because the diseases were about something else. So the thing with your students or with the homies is always find the something else. There's something else. So in, in the eighties, you know, when, when we were all dealing with gang issues, late eighties, um, you know, people go, by God, we're going to deal with this head on. So they had, you know, what year were you born? Uh, 77. So this was, would have been, uh, you know, uh, probably 90, you know, and, and so they had, uh, operation hammer and, and chief gates and, and it was kind of wipe them out and by God, we're going to deal with gang violence head on. Well, but gang violence was about something else. So good luck with that. That won't work. And it, <laughs> it didn't work. Because gang violence was because kids couldn't imagine a future for lots of reasons. Wow. And kids couldn't conjure up an image of what tomorrow is for lots of reasons. And and if you're a traumatized kid, you're you're more likely to cause trauma. It's how it works. But a cherished kid will be able to find their way to cherishing others. And and homeboy is about cherishing people. So Gang violence was about something else, but people always pat themselves on the back because they go, well, we're going to deal, oh, baby, we're dealing with this head on. <laughs> and everybody goes, whoa, you are brave and you're smart <laughs> and you're wise. And I always say, good luck with that. <laughs> because, because simply put, everything is about something else. So if you watch somebody whose behavior is alarming, you know, and then you think you know what it is. But trust me, it's about pain. It's about wound. And, and so if, if gang violence was about a lethal absence of hope, so what do you do? 
smash them down? No, you infuse hope into people and kids and communities where hope is foreign. That's what you do. But but it, that's it's taken a long time for society to come to that. And, and they still want to deal with these things head on, even though you really should deal with them underneath. Find out what what's really going on. What what does it indicate, you know? That takes that takes time and work. That takes the work. Yeah, it does. Yeah. You know, you, you don't want to fall for stuff. <clears throat> you know. But you know that as a teacher, if you have a kid who acts out outrageously, you don't go, this is a bad kid. You don't. I know you don't. Because I already can see your soul, you know, in your heart. I already know you. You look at that and you go, wow, that kid must be in a great deal of pain. You know, because yeah. even though it's inconvenient, even though that kid has disrupted your class, <laughs> and, and, and there's something wrong with that, he's a pain in the ass, and there's that's for sure. But But you know that there's something up with that kid. And, and, you know, if you had left, if you left a five-year-old in a classroom all by himself and said, I'll be right back. And when you came back, he had destroyed the room and he had smeared his feces on the wall. And, and there's nobody on the planet. I don't care what level of education you'd have. Nobody would want to punish that kid or ostracize that kid. Every human being, whether you went to school or not, would say, wow, that kid's in pain. I wonder, I wonder what's going on with that kid. Nobody would want to banish him. They wouldn't. Now, we're whole and healthy and well and integrated and loving. And, and I hope for the time when we want that for each other rather than banish people or incarcerate our way out of this or us and them you don't belong to us you know so this is so fascinating um and you know i i'm i'm so i feel so appreciative for you to even give these insights i can't wait to read you is your new book already out well i have two books tattoos on the heart and barking to the choir uh-huh, and you said that third one. <clears throat> the third one I just turned into my um, editor. So okay. it's supposed to come out October 19th. I can't wait. It's already read. <laughs> I can't wait for that. <laughs> and, you know, um, you're part of a curriculum with LAUSD. Well, not just LAUSD, other school districts. And I'm sure you already know about this because we have a reading intervention program called Read 180. And yeah. I taught this at Southgate High School. And then um, I saw it had an article. You, what they really want to do is they collect, they anthologize high interest articles, reading materials, things that are going to engage the kids, you know, so, to eliminate that boredom factor. And then it's, it shows a, a, um, <clears throat> an article about Homeboy Industries. And then it has, you know, a, an article, comprehension questions, um, and then, you know, maybe some further analysis questions, but things that get the kids engaged. So, so you're, you were part of the Read 180 program, part of the curriculum. Um, 
and just individuals coming in and out of my life saying, hey, Father G, Father G, Father G, mentioning you from my ex, um, whom I had a child with, by the way. And um, George would speak so highly of you. He would say, it was always Father G. In that household, trust me, your name came up every time they got together. So you are loved and appreciated. And I'm, But this, this is old news. I, I'm pretty sure you know this. But um, you really prepared me to even become a teacher because <clears throat> reading, reading this book and, and being explicit about how the only thing we can do is wait, wait for them to jump on board. I've learned as a teacher not to close that door, you know, to, to be patient. Um, so when they decide to engage and they wake up and say, hey, maybe it'll be a worthwhile endeavor for me to complete my assignments or to write this narrative or this argument and to maybe pay attention in class, um, I don't shut that possibility down. And it's because of people like you. So um, you, your, your influence, I don't know how profound and, 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 and how, um, how strong your influence is in this world, but boy, You've, you've done a lot for more than just the communities that you think around the Los Angeles area because, it, you know, it's, it spreads around. My, and <clears throat> my cousin did tell me, though, you, you do fly to other states and you give, um, you have like little seminars or conferences. You guys speak to people and whatnot. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm sure I took, I don't think I took Lenny out of state, but I, I think he came with me once to speak in Orange County, if I'm not mistaken. But yeah, I, you know, I used to be on a plane three times a week. Wow. But I haven't been on a plane <clears throat> since middle of March. Yeah. <laughs> so it's kind of weird. So I do a lot of, tomorrow I'm speaking at Harvard. Oh, wow. With, on a Zoom, you know, and, and so there's, and, uh, you know, then I tape a lot of things, you know, people, I just did, two talks for Hawaii, I'd rather actually go there, but oh well. Yeah. So, um, so I gave a keynote and a workshop and, and I just, you know, so it's not very satisfying. I, I don't, I, I like having an audience. I like kind of hearing people laugh and people, and then you can, you can feel like, hey, they're with you. It's like preaching. Yeah. You know, it, it, at a mass or something, because which I've done lots of, you know, whatever you call the live stream or even taped masses, but it's not very satisfying because it's you all alone <clears throat> talking to your computer. You know? <laughs> so, well, I mean, it's all, it's all we can do for now. You know, you mentioned, what was that thing called Reader 180? It, it's called Read 180. Read 180. But, you know, um, you know, I've heard about that a lot over the years and I've seen it. I've <clears> actually seen it. But I think that's almost 30 years old now. Yeah, yeah. That article, you know, so they, they need to update <laughs> their, their Read 180. Let's make that, that happen. Yeah, because that's really a kind of a, and I love the idea to let's get stories that kids are going to engage with. Yeah. But, you know, now that you mentioned it, I, I think it's 25 years old, mm -hmm. 30 maybe. Yeah, I've been in education for a long time. The vast yeah, majority now. And, and I think they still use it, but it's uh, kind of old. 
you know. <laughs> they, need, they need the update. <laughs> yeah. Well, um, I'm super excited. I can't wait for the new arrival of, of your book. It gives me something to look forward to. And I, I thank you so much. I've been reaching out, trying to get a hold of you and make this yeah, happen. I, know. I, I can't remember what, how, what all happened. <laughs> things, things, life happened. I, I'm, I'm so honored to know you, and I hope that that we will continue to stay in touch. And uh, you have my email, and I presume my cell phone, so uh, through my assistant. So I'm happy to help in any way, you know. Likewise, and vice versa. If you need anything from me, if I can, I will. And thank you so much. It's it's been a pleasure, Father Gregory Boyle. Um, you you just do so much, and and keep doing that. It, it took me a long time to tell people this. I didn't know how to allow it to come out of my mouth, but God bless you. <laughs> Thank you, Richard. You, you've made my whole day, so you stay well, and I, I look forward to knowing you for a long time. I'll say hi to Lenny, and if you talk to any of the Jimenezes, I haven't seen them in a while, say kiole, kiole for me. I sure will. Thank you so much. Andale, pues. Okay, bye-bye. That's one small step for man.